Hollywood. Da, 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 da. Hollywood. I don't even know that song. What is I've that song? I've never heard that in my life. That's a song. Isn't that a song? I mean, you're singing it, you know? I, I just don't know what the song's from. I think it's just like a Hollywood song. I mean, I don't fucking know. What do I look like, David Geffen? You're Hollywood Brace. Yeah, I, that's true. I am Hollywood Brace. Uh, when I was younger, when I was younger, my friends and I tried we 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 tried to work out nicknames, and mine was Showbiz. I believe really? for a while. Yeah. Well, we didn't try to work them out. People just kind of gave each other nicknames. That I was, was Showbiz. It was Pigskin. Uh, the Doctor. Okay, it's really all over the place. Yeah, really, really went, really went everywhere. But uh, Showbiz Belden is pretty cute. I think just Showbiz by itself would be all right. I've had a lot of. If you look at my, I don't want to be like this, but it's embarrassing. So I feel like it's okay for me to say. If you look at my fucking Wikipedia, the nickname shut it down. Shut it down. It's fucking awful. No No one's ever ever called me any of these fucking words in my life. Don't ever look at. One guy called me Mr. Bean one time or like three times. And now for the rest of like in 20 years when I'm dead, some fucking like scholar is going to be looking back at Brace. And he's like, oh, he was often called Mr. Bean. Not true. Fake news. I'm sorry. Why is that on Wikipedia? I don't know, dude. I don't know. Where did you even get that? I, it's in an article. I mentioned that. Well, I think guy, if they got it, if, if they found it on the internet, and you know that it's true. Listen, I need to someone else to write an article about me in a real publication that says I was. I'm not called Mr. Bean regularly. I look nothing like him, and don't find him funny. I'm gonna start calling you Mr. Bean. <laughs> Oh man, we have an episode today. Boy, do we. We have crossed uh, a sort of Rubicon, I think. Yes. Man, we've been waiting for this for a long time. We finally made it happen. Before we get to that, hello everyone. Welcome Greetings. to True Anon. I'm Say Liz. Your name. Oh, I'm Brace. Why did, why did you pause so long there? Just, because sometimes I pause. But like that's two, you pause like for like two beats. You got to pause for one beat. You don't know my beats. I just, I, okay. How do I not, beats are universal. Uh, that's, I, that's, I, you know what? I, I go to the beat of my own drum. Yeah, but your drum like be, is beating wrong is what I'm saying here. No, you can't beat wrong. It's just a different beat. Okay, this is this is a whole lot of Montessori shit I'm hearing right now. <laughs> I'm Liz. I'm Brace, joined by producer Young Chomsky. And like we said, we got a, a jam-packed You episode. gotta say the episode! You gotta say the podcast name! I already did. It's true or not. Hello. Okay, there we go. All right, resume. Jam-packed. Man, oh man, do we talk about a lot of stuff. This is a long one. So, it's a long one. You know what? Draw a bath, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Just Have a nice it, time. To set it up a little bit, uh, we, we launched pretty much straight into talking about the recent suicide of Hollywood Playboy and Epstein, um, let's say co-mingler, uh, uh, Steve Bing. Mm. And we are joined by, by one of our podcast heroes. Well, you'll find out more in a second. 
So nice of you to join us, dear listeners, here at the Chateau Marmont, where we are recording this extra special episode. Uh, we have with us today uh, one of the one of the inspirations for this podcast, Enti, from the the premier gossip blog, Crazy Days and Nights. Enti, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Just great. Just great. There's nothing like Fantastic. being poolside at Chateau Marmont. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Brace actually got it wrong. We're actually at Chateau Marmut, just nah. uh, you know, down the street. I gotcha. I'm trying to think of a single other like uh, LA hotspot, and I cannot. So we're going with that one. I'm surprised you didn't go with Moon Juice. That's usually your go. That's true. That's the other place <laughs> I know of in LA. <laughs> we are so excited to have you here. We've been wanting to have you on the pod for I don't know, pretty much I think since we started. Correct. Uh, nearly a year ago, which is very weird to say. And boy, oh boy, do we have a good good topic to have you on for. Yeah. Some real breaking news out of Holly Weird. Uh, <laughs> Steve Bing committed suicide, allegedly. Allegedly. And we, and we got to get into this. Um, <laughs> it's a very odd story, and it kind of came out of, I mean, I guess as suicides tend to do, it kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody saw it really coming at all. Yeah, um, and it, you know, it's it's especially true in this kind of situation. I mean, I mean, the the reasons that they've kind of come up with, I guess, are lame. Yes, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. It seems like they're just saying he's depressed and on drugs, which I I think, I mean, that seems like a lot of people in L.A. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's why psychiatrists you may make a good living here. Mm-hmm. The I, you know, they said he was depressed that he couldn't because he wasn't able to interact with people because of the whole social distancing and isolation. But you know, in L.A., it's been over for weeks. So yeah, I I don't I, get that line of reasoning at all. I mean, not to mention that it's not like he's living in a studio apartment and he's just some random guy, which we should get into. I mean, you know, he's uh. I'm sure on a palatial estate of his own. The idea that like he couldn't see people or was stuck inside and it and it drove him mad is preposterous. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who lived in the Hotel Bel Air for nine years. He went there one night and just stayed for nine years. So, <laughs> you know, he's used to living in confined spaces. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I don't see how this would be an, an issue. I mean, there's been rumors that he's maybe out of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, when you say out of money, maybe ten million dollars or twenty million dollars. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that there's a. We'll find out when they do the estate, but I, I don't think that there's a ton left of the six or seven hundred million dollars that he was once worth. Well, before we we get too far into that, I I, I agree with that. It d- it does seem like the guy has some money problems, but like every time you read about a rich person in their sixties, it always says that. Um. But who is Steve Bing? For those for those who who don't know, like, can you describe this guy to me a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he uh, inherited a bunch of money from his grandfather on the day he turned eighteen. So, can you imagine when you're eighteen getting six hundred million dollars? Um, his grandfather did a bunch of luxury uh, apartments in New York City, uh, and his father has a bunch of money. And there's a there's a big family controversy, which we can get into later. Um, he was always interested in in movies 
And while he was at Stanford, he uh, sold a script and he just said, well, I'm quitting Stanford and I'm going to make movies. And he also wrote movies. So this is not just some guy who, you know, I've got a lot of money and I want to pretend I'm a producer so I can have sex with a bunch of women. Mm -hmm. Uh, He actually um, wrote movies. He wrote Kangaroo Jack. Um, So, you know, he co-wrote that. And then executive producer credits Get Carter, um, Rock the Casbah, Polar Express. Yeah, it was a big one. Yeah, big movies. He also, yeah. I was pleased to note he did. He did. It looks like himself produced, or not maybe not produced himself, but but sunk a lot of money into producing a Jerry Lee Lewis album, which I'm a big fan of the Killer. So <laughs> he got some credit for me on that. Well, that's true. He did do that, but then you know, and that was his hero. So then you have to say, well, this is the same Jerry Lee Lewis who married his 12 year old cousin. Yes, and <laughs> possibly uh, killed more than one of his wives. That's quite possible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so this guy, this guy was like a pretty big fixture in in, in Hollywood, and seems to like run with like a certain kind of uh, of gentleman. More of whom we'll get into later. But like famously, he's also had these kind of like weird paternity uh, issues as well. Like uh, two of them, as, as far as I know. Yeah, and they kind of were going on at, at the at the same time. Um, so. <laughs> There's, there's two. The, mo- the I guess the more famous one is that he had a son with Elizabeth Hurley and said that the son was not his and it proved to be his. And then he um, was also discovered to be the father of uh, Lisa Bonder's child. And Lisa Bonder had claimed that Kirk Kikorian, another billionaire, was the biological father of, of Kira. And... To the, to the point where when Lisa and Kirk Kikorian got divorced after just 28 days, 28 days, <laughs> yes. she got child support of $100,000 a month Oof. for Kira's upbringing and um, a trust in the amount of about $8 million, which I think later, or seven, and it was raised to eight, something like that. Uh, and so those are the two that he was involved in. He has never met Damien to my knowledge that's the son with elizabeth hurley mm-hmm. and only met kira when kira was an adult so it's not exactly a hands-on father i know the lisa bonner thing is really weird because uh we should also mention that she was 48 y- years younger than Gregorian as well like the classic uh sort of coastal city romance uh, of dating somebody who could not only be your father but potentially your grandfather um, I, I found that extremely weird. And I know that both kids are trying to get access to basically their inheritance from Bing's father. Yeah. So there were, there was a huge, uh, lawsuit that, that worked out in the children's favor, but, uh, it was essentially Mary Bing, who is, um, Steve's sister who kind of put her dad up to it because she wanted more money for her two kids and to eliminate, Kira and Damien from it. He uh, was saying that because they were born out of wedlock, he said that his trust said that if they were born out of wedlock um, or if they didn't live with Steve, then they shouldn't be entitled to any of um, Peter Bing's money. And Peter Bing also has, you know, $600 million or so. Yeah. But the one of the, the crazy things was, is that when Lisa went to court, 
in the divorce, she's um, it was uh, it was Kira actually. She swore under penalty of perjury that she was Kirk Kikorian's daughter. So then, when you get to um, later on, so they're saying, well, she she lied then or she lying now. It's one of those kind of situations. Mm. Yeah, it's very weird. I mean, he seemed to. I mean, we mentioned also we we should talk about the money stuff because that also seemed to be like swirling around uh, the kind of immediate climate right before his suicide that he, you know, we, we mentioned that he was possibly broke. He had just what, like liquidated a bunch of assets as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you start off with that kind of money, but then you, you, you know, they always say that you should never use your own money when you finance a movie in Hollywood. Mm. But he was always doing that now. But the thing is, he he had some some huge misses. Um, the the Warren Beatty Howard Hughes movie, whatever that. Oh one was my called. god, he did that one. The one yeah. that like, oh gosh, that one yeah, wasn't it, that like stuck. Wasn't maybe I'm misremembering, called, and if I am, then we should add this out. But was wasn't there some of that in the Sony leaks? Yeah, so it was called Rules Don't Apply, and I mm. I think it grossed about sixteen million dollars and cost <laughs> you know. 30, 40, 50 million. But, you know, he partnered with some some important names that probably come up with Ron Burkle, mm-hmm. James Packer, Brett Ratner mm-hmm. to finance oh that movie. So, I mean, you're talking about the the lowest of the low when it comes to, <laughs> to Hollywood people. Um, but, you know, he had in 2017, he did Kingsman, um, the Golden mm-hmm. Circle. So... <sighs> But how much money was he making from that? And then, you know, all the donations and all, you know, just living the the, the big life, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, he contributed $50 million in 2006 to an oil production tax. Um, you know, when you, you're talking this kind of money, uh, he gave $10 million to Bill Clinton's foundation. Apparently, he, mm-hmm. he paid $2.5 million a year to Bill Clinton as, a, as an advisor. <laughs> um so, you know, the money, if it's not coming in and you have a lot of bombs uh, and you're spending and producing your own, you know, movies and you're paying for it, the money can go quickly. Yeah. What's like the sense you get about this guy? Because there's a lot of like, it seems like rich guys who sort of buy their way into like this loose group of people in Hollywood. Um and like some of them, you know, have have extremely dark intentions. Some of them just like want to be liked or want to be around people who are in the movies. Like what what kind of like character are you you get out of this guy? I get out of the fact that he wanted to. Um, he was really interested in movies. He was a writer, and then when he came into all that money, you know, it's typical. Hey, I'm going to move from Stanford and go down to L.A. and live that life. Yeah, and when you're 18 years old, and you and you have that much money, you know you you think that it's going to last forever, and then when you get up to you know 55 or 60 years old, you realize oh there's not that much left, and also what have I done with my life other than you know make some so so movies and yeah. know, had sex with a lot of people. There's not much to his life. Yes, he he's given money to causes and things like that, and. But in, out of, you know, except for what, 2001, when all of this was happening with Elizabeth Hurley, you know, he's never really been in the news all that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, when you think of a group of Burkle and Clinton and Epstein, he was the the more of the, the silent person in it. Yeah. That's how I would kind of take it. 
you know, he in 2001, um, you know, there was the big deal when, so Elizabeth Hurley said that, you know, he was the father and he said, I don't think I was because, you know, she was having sex with other people. Mm-hmm. So then he and his lawyer um, hired Anthony Pelicano to dig up dirt to destroy Elizabeth Hurley's reputation. Um, ah. And when when the Daily Mail kind of reported that, okay, so he did do that, and the Daily Mail reported it. However, at that time, he said that the newspaper report was false, and his legal team produced a sworn declaration, and so then the Daily Mail had to basically fold. They issued a retraction, and they got a ton of money um, from the Daily Mail, and the lawyer for um, Bing at that time was was Marty Singer, who is always around for for everything. So. Yeah. So you you mentioned Pelicano, and maybe we should pause for a second and just can, maybe we can talk a little bit or paint a little picture about who Anthony Pelicano is because this is another name that comes up a lot when you're talking about um, Hollywood scandals. Yeah, you know so. He um, was a Hollywood kind of private investigator, and he went to jail for kind of masterminding a long-running wiretapping ring mm. um, on behalf of many, many clients. And, you know, people like Keith Carradine filed a lawsuit against him because his deal was that he would tap their phones. Uh, it was alleged that he worked both ends and helped Tom Cruise in his divorce against Nicole Kidman, but also helped Nicole Kidman. He does and, that. Pelicano does that a lot. Yeah, yeah. It seems like every, is there no other fucking like scumbag private investigator? I will go down there and become one. This guy gets all the business. Yeah. Well, it, so he did the same thing to, to Steve Bing. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget. So he was working for Steve Bing to find out what was going on and tried to destroy Elizabeth Hurley. But at the same time, Pelicano was using his friendship with Steve Bing to help Kirk Kikorian. Amazing. And, you know, to, to discover that Kira was actually Steve Bing. So he, you know, went and got dental floss out of Steve Bing's trash. I have to say that this is like a classic. This is something we've brought up on the podcast before, that this is like a classic move in Hollywood, which is just basically managing both sides of a scandal. To mm-hmm. yeah. in the in a way of of basically managing the rollout of the entire thing, like it's not surprising to hear that about the Cruz and Kidman divorce, right? Yeah, um, and also as we mentioned, Ron Burkle before, you know, he got the FBI to handle his problem with Anthony Pelicano because Pelicano had threatened Burkle with extortion. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, to, to like not print a story, right, or like to not to not sell a story about him. Well. What the thing was, was Pelicano had claimed to be hired by former Disney president and CAA um, founder Michael Ovitz. Mm-hmm. And Burkle had partnered with Ovitz in a bunch of failed business ventures, and then Ovitz wanted dirt on him. So then, of course, Ovitz hires Pelicano, and that ended up because Burkle called in a bunch of favors. Uh, the FBI ended up raiding Pelicano's offices, and that's he went to jail for the first time for that. <laughs> And then Remember, after that sentence, he was found guilty of conspiracy, racketeering, and wiretapping, and he got sentenced to 15 years in prison. I think he got out a year and a half ago, maybe. Oh, oh my God. 
of jail. So, there yeah. should be a movie on this guy. Not that they would ever be able to make one. You'd have but... to find someone to finance it that ha- he hasn't fucked over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the yeah, you know, for sure. Because, you know, he... <laughs> He he does play both sides, but I think there's people that would do it. I mean, it's it's you know pretty interesting. And and these in the federal case, this is how it found out that Bing had been paying him so much money, um, because until then nobody really knew that he had. And he paid him you know twenty thousand. Uh, I think it was twenty five thousand once, sixty thousand again, and then two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And the last check had a handwritten note that said thanks. Before we get we get on to Burkle, which I'm also very excited to talk about, we we've mentioned Epstein here and Steve Bing famously or right, right to back up even further, the day that Steve Bing died, you wrote on Twitter that Steve Bing was also one of the driving forces to coerce Graydon Carter of Vanity Fair not to publish a piece on Jeffrey Epstein and Elaine Maxwell, written by John Connolly for Vanity Fair. What can yes. you tell me about that? Well, I mean, I think that everybody. Um, was every one of Epstein's friends was was pushing Graydon Carter on that. Uh, you know, Bing was just one of, you know, again with Burkle and um, I think Clinton, you know, they they all said, you know, you shouldn't publish this article. And, uh, you know, they, they put a lot of pressure on him. I don't think he put any more or less pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I would refer people to the the glorious site that was once Gawker. And, yes. mm. and they yeah, did. Yeah, um, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, they did a lot on that. So, you know, it's that that's basically, you know, the, the gist of it. But they did hang around together all the time. I mean, this was a group, Burkle, Epstein and Bing and Clinton. Yeah, you, yeah, you mentioned that Bing was kind of more than one of the silent ones. He definitely doesn't make the headlines like Burkle did in relation no. to Clinton and Epstein. No, definitely not. So, um and one of the things, going back to, to Pelicano real quick, is the this guy that used to, to work for him uh, named Paul Baresi. Mm-hmm. And Paul Baresi uh, worked for Pelicano for a long time. And his claim to fame originally was that he said that he had sex with a young John Travolta. And so then when... You know, John Travolta had, a, a, you know, one of his famous massage scandals, you know, Baresi mm. comes out. But his main job was as a, you know, Hollywood private investigator. And he was hired to, quote unquote, talk to people in the dead of night who were making trouble for the people that were paying um, Baresi. Uh, and he also, um, you know, he did collected evidence on enemies like Chris Rock um, after a model tried to extort money. Uh, he, Courtney Love, he helped her when she was fighting the Nirvana estate. I mean, huh. so, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. If you could make a movie with Baresi and, and Pelicano, I think that that would be, you know, pretty good. <laughs> of course, they'd have to be willing to do some gay porn kind of things. Cause that's how Baresi made some money back in the seventies. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but it seems like 75 to 85% of male stars in Hollywood have at some point done gay porn. I mean, I may be exaggerating a little, but that seems to be a really good way to 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 kickstart your career. I mean, even you have an episode on on Tom Cruise, which I think mentions about Geffen too, uh, about how Tom Cruise started out possibly. I don't, you know, I don't want to get sued here, or somebody who looks very much like Tom Cruise uh, was in some rather scandalous pictures as a teenager. Well, yes, and how you can get away with saying something about Tom Cruise is you say the story like this. 
<laughs> so um, uh, there is um, the guy from the village people, the cowboy from the village people. He tells a story that when he was, it's, somebody asked him, how do you know that Tom Cruise is gay? And he said, well, at Studio 54, Tom Cruise was on uh, his knees sucking my dick. Mm. So that's the story that he tells. So that's how you can, you know, say mm. something like that. And then they can just go after Randy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say at the intro of the podcast, I'll be like, all of what I'm saying is, is from a script written by uh, one of the guys from the village people. It's fun to stay at the- <laughs> yeah. The, um, one of the things when they, when you describe the, the, the four of these, there was a Vanity Fair article that talked about, um, it was, there was written, there was a quote from a woman and she said, quote, back then as a cocky, petite, ink-stained wrench, I wasn't one of the young women in Manhattan whom Epstein and his friends approached for relationships, one night stands or abuse, blah, blah, blah. But then she talks about, um, Burkle and Bing and Clinton, um, all of them always being together. So... Did, do you know if Bing had a jet? I don't think that he did. Uh, yeah, you know, I haven't. I haven't seen any mention of it so far. You know, he. I mean, he had so many friends that that had one. I mean, Burkle, you know, with Airfuck mm-hmm. One or whatever, and then you had uh, the Lolita Express. Obviously, I'm sure that you know he might. I think he probably just rented a jet when he needed one. I don't think yeah. that he actually owned one. It seems like owning one invites a nickname for your jet, and nicknames for <laughs> jets have not, in the in traditionally in among this group of people, been entirely flattering. Onto his like actual suicide here. Mm. Um, it looks like he jumped from the twenty seventh floor of his apartment building, which is I'm I am I think like most people not a huge fan of heights, and it's always seemed to me like a really strange way to commit suicide. You know, I just always wonder when you're about halfway down mm-hmm. if you say this was not really a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there is actually a friend of mine uh, used to work at the ballpark with a guy who had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and like the 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 middle section, the large section, and somehow li- uh, lived through his attempt. And the guy was like, yeah, like right when I hit the water, I was like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> oh, my but God. But he lived. So, you know, someone's looking out for him. But yeah, back to Bing. Bing, Bing jumps off this apartment building. Uh, can you... Tell me more about this. Like, what's going on here? You know, all I know is what, what everybody has reported, that the fact is that he felt like he was depressed. You know, was it's just kind of odd that out of this group of four people, two of them have now, quote unquote, committed suicide. Right. right? Um, and at some point, here, here is my one theory on this. If you go back and you guys, you know, have done obviously a, a ton of Epstein episodes and things like that. But let's not forget that, you know, there was a hearing this past week mm-hmm. about um, unsealing some documents, yes. unsealing more of these documents. And remember, there is a separate uh, kind of concurrent filings that are going on where John Doe's are trying to keep themselves secret. 
they want to be left out of it because it doesn't necessarily they just they don't want to be associated with what Epstein did. They're saying that they weren't involved with any underage girls, so they should be kept out of it. And they've yes. all sued as John Doe. It would not shock me or surprise me if Steve Bing was one of the John Doe's. Mm. Yeah, this is the filing that Dershowitz had a little fit about uh, just yeah, earlier well, this week. Because they do keep they do keep you know releasing you know unsealing some of these documents. And don't forget that Guy Lane is also really interested in keeping them sealed mm-hmm. too. Um, she is you know Guy Lane is essentially finished with with most of these things. I mean, she, 2016 is when she was really hammered and had to pay out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But she is still in this in the sense that she is trying to just keep these documents sealed. Yes, there's still some, a couple people suing her, but the vast majority have already moved on and they've settled with her. So, to me, this it, this John Doe thing has always been really interesting to me, and I'm not sure exactly why the court is necessarily um, not having these people be identified. And Virginia's lawyers and, and other victims' lawyers have also wanted them to to be identified. Yeah, I know. I remember reading some of it was like they, they said there was something like 700 names, many of them recognizable, you know, and hinted yeah. at, at, at prime ministers, which a lot of people think is Ehud Barak, which obviously Ehud Barak was involved. But I'm holding out for maybe also Tony Blair. Yeah, that's my great holdout. Um, although they were, I mean, he was connected through Tony Blair to Tony Blair through one of his, I think, cabinet ministers who's pretty good friends with Epstein. But, um, just real quick, like, do you know anything like, you know, you hear a lot about Epstein and like the Hollywood people. Did Ghislaine have much of a relationship with any of them? Um, I mean, with Hollywood people. Yeah. I mean, um, she gave George Clooney a blowjob, right? Um, yes. Who hasn't and if, though? And who hasn't? And uh, Josh Duhamel, um, for sure, had a really? relationship with him. Oh, my and gosh. And also, if you go back and look, um, one of the um, victims turned procurers also mm-hmm. had a relationship with Josh Duhamel. Mm. So, you know, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a Hollywood connection for sure. Mm-hmm. And of course, we can't forget Naomi Campbell either. No, I mean, Although, Naomi I don't Cam- know if she technically counts as Hollywood. I would say that if you're talking about the world of celebrity, that you know you have to include Naomi Campbell. So um, I think when you say celebrity, it's Hollywood, whether or not they're you know an, an actress or not. And she's done reality television, so um, yeah, I think you could call her Hollywood. That sounds all right. I'm glad we agree. <laughs> um, we you know we've mentioned this name a couple of times too, um, Ron Burkle. Yeah. Now. Burkle, there is a lot more information about this guy out here. And also, you mentioned that two of the guys uh, from this sort of small group of people are now dead, basically within a year of each other. Uh, Burkle's son also recently died, although we can get to that a little little later. Um, who the fuck is Ron Burkle, to those who don't know? Well, Ron Burkle is a billionaire. And he is obsessed with kind of controlling the hidden levers of power and celebrity. To give you an idea about him and how he grew up, his father started um, the Stater Brothers grocery store chain, mm-hmm. and he used to, to bag groceries and stuff, and he worked there for 15 years. So this is a guy who essentially just worked at the grocery store. And when Stater uh, Brothers was positioned to sell, 
Burkle secretly leveraged a buyout. He offered the company 20% less than what bankers had said that they could get. And he knew this insider information because he worked there. Um, so he tried to buy it low, and then the bid was rejected, and he was fired. So he tried to screw over his own family, essentially. And <laughs> he only has a high school diploma. And he started uh, like a venture capital firm. And essentially, that firm started acquiring grocery store chains like Fred Meyer or Ralph's or Whole Foods and things like that. Um, basically, about 30 grocery store chains. So that's kind of where he came from. But as I said, he was obsessed with getting to know people and did the same kind of thing as Epstein, where I just want to build these contacts. I want to have these names. I'm a collector. And that's essentially, if you go look at Epstein's black book, he is a collector of people and of situations and things like that. In Jeffrey Epstein's black book, I think he's got three phone numbers in there. My, my My rule of thumb is if there's more than one entry, chances are good. Um, that you were up to no good with him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that means Jimmy Buffett, you hear this? You are off the hook. <laughs> because he entered people in there that he would just met and got their business card. Yeah. And when you see people that have 10 or 12 or 14 entries, mm. you go, oh my gosh. You <laughs> Donald know, Trump. You know, this is, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Tr- Trump introduced Burkle as one of his good friends and a great, great negotiator. Did he? So, Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where it is. I mean, Burkle is friends, obviously, he's friends with um, Nancy Pelosi and Clinton. He raised mm-hmm. millions for both of their political campaigns. Um, but Donald Trump invited Burkle um, and his team to the White House when the Penguins won the 2016 Stanley Cup. And that's when he introduced Burkle as one of his good friends and a great, great negotiator. It's, so, funny, it's funny, too, because I actually think that Burkle supported Kasich. In the uh, in the 2016 primaries, which is yeah, I, I don't I, I don't remember actually. Odd choice. I was I was looking it up earlier. It's a very odd choice. Um, well, you know, earlier I mentioned that Bing was paying Clinton about two and a half million dollars to be an advisor. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, Clinton is an advisor <laughs> to this Yukaipa company, which is the the Burkle's company that he uses to acquire everything. Yeah. So. Um, Essentially, in 2017, four women requested hush money after accusing Bill Clinton of assaulting them back in early 2000. Mm -hmm. So Clinton helped Burkle generate business and flew around the world with all of these young women on the the private jet. Um, And, you know, Clinton stayed at Burkle's Green Acres estate so much that Burkle installed a jogging path for him. Huh. So, you know... And then finally in 2009, I think Clinton ended his relationship with the, the company citing a conflict of interest. Mm. And I think he ended up getting $20 million or something like that. Like just it's, from, like Burkle just paid him 20 mil? Yeah. It's wild how it's just like you're watching just like a shit ton of money transfer between all these friends. And yeah. these like various, I, I mean, you don't want to call it laundering, allegedly, but it starts <laughs> to feel like that, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to hire you. I, I mean, or just accounting fun, and, I'll and say. Burkle liked um, to be in the tabloids. He mm-hmm. would call the gossip columns to say that, hey, you know, I, I went out with so-and-so. <laughs> and he would phone reporters, you know, directly to feed them items. There was a, another time, you know, going back to the FBI, some reporter for the Post tried to extort him for a couple hundred thousand dollars or something, mm-hmm. and he did that. But 
But the thing is that Burkle doesn't, he only likes it when he can control the narrative. So when tabloids would print the fluff, he loved it. But then the scandals were something that really, you know, gets under his skin, especially the link to Jeffrey Epstein. Um, and, you know, other scandals included the idea that he may have provided uh, willing young models to pals. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there was a divorce from um, his ex-wife, Janet Steeper, who accused him of having an affair. And then secretly videotaping the wife and then swindling her out of a fortune. Huh. Um, videotaping her doing what? With her um, boyfriend, who actually I think was an ex-convict or something like that. Yeah, but brother. what it was, so they're getting divorced. And... At the time, California was talking about a, a, a law. It's called um, a divorce record law. And the law provided for divorce records to be sealed at the request of either spouse. So in December 2004, Burkle persuaded a judge to seal his divorce records. And then the reporters discovered that Burkle had given 20 grand to Schwarzenegger, 26 grand to the state Democratic Party a few months before the bill passed. Amazing. Um, Amazing. And so he says, I didn't, I didn't lobby for this law. I, I didn't even know it existed or whatever, mm. something like that. A judge nullified the law, declared it unconstitutional. So then Burkle's file was unsealed. And the papers revealed that his ex-wife complained that Burkle had um, ex-secret service agents hmm. follow her and her ex-convict boyfriend. And that Burkle spied on her and their youngest son. And then she sought a domestic violence order against him but was denied she said, my husband's extremely wealthy and powerful. Uh, he used to exert control over all the people that he comes into contact with. And Burkle's 29-year-old daughter at the time said her father once told her that a security staff had pictures and videos of her mom and her boyfriend having sex. And then Burkle said, no, no, my daughter, she heard it all wrong. Um, so, yeah. Jesus. Why, would I- you, why would you let your daughter find that out? he told her daughter he told his daughter <laughs> i know but like what that's well because that's like a classic manipulative move with the kids yeah yeah i guess that's true i can you know, imagine i can't imagine how many people in hollywood were uh not lobbying for that law to pass to seal oh, divorce I think records. Everybody. yeah especially yeah. schwarzenegger you, you, you know you got a guy then oh yeah absolutely remember when schwarzenegger was was you know um, I think it was either when he was running or right after he got elected governor. Remember, the LA Times reported on all these women that he had allegedly sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and yeah. had all these settlements with. So, you know, I think it I was think, right before he was elected, actually. Yeah, I, I can't remember anymore, but it was, it was at that time, you know, and Burkle had been concerned about his youngest son being kidnapped due to his, you know, ex wife's indiscretions. So, and that's Andrew, and that's the one that was that died. Yeah, um, can, can you tell year. me anything about the death of, of Burkle's son? You know, I haven't really looked into it. Um, you know, his son was also involved in movies and, mm-hmm. and movie making and everything. Um, but I, I really, I, I haven't really looked in, into anything about, um, you know, his son's death. Me either. You know, because really. he's not really involved in anything. And, and I, I like people to actually, you know, if his son had done something really horrible or something, I think I would talk about it. Um but I mean, right. it's just it's just a kid who you know had some problems. Yeah, yeah, and and being a kid who's raised with a lot of money too, I think creates a whole other set of problems than than other people have. Well, I was just going to say, you know, like we've, you know, we haven't yet done an episode on Bill Clinton, and I think mm-hmm. that we're going to 
you know, we've talked about how we would approach doing like an episode on the Clintons. It's quite a task, but I, I would be, I would feel like remiss if we didn't touch a little bit on Clinton here, just because his relationship with Burkle and Bing is like so close, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, like I said, they, 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 they worked together for a long time. Um, one of the things about with Clinton though is, you know, and Elizabeth Hurley. So we have Steve. I was going to say, ex, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I so, don't know if our listeners know about wait, that. I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Well, so back in the day, Tom Sizemore, who should always be treated with a thousand grains of salt, <laughs> and later under extreme pressure, recanted. We don't know why he recanted, but he did. But he told two friends that uh, that then President Clinton flew Elizabeth Hurley to the White House to sleep with her. Do I make you horny, Randy? And it was um, on the Drudge Report and Radar Online and also the Globe. And essentially, everybody got a copy of this conversation from the friends. And essentially, Sizemore said that Clinton had asked him if he had dated Hurley, and Sizemore said he had. And then Clinton asked for her phone number, and Sizemore resisted until the president said, give it to me. You know, I'm the commander-in-chief of the United States of America. So then, you know, Sizemore gave him the number, and then Clinton called uh, Elizabeth and said, this is the president. Um, You know, I'm sending a plane to pick you up. Um, And here's the thing. Clinton is not the kind of guy who's, I'm the commander-in-chief. Elizabeth, you you know, first of all, she's not American. So what does she really care? And it, it was just kind of, it didn't really sound all that plausible. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it, it didn't always sound plausible that Bill Clinton and Gina Gershon mm-hmm. um, hooked up. But Vanity Fair said that they did. And when uh, Gina Gershon said, you know, I want a retraction, they said, nope. Yes, and they had the pers- it. Yeah. And the person who wrote the article is this guy named Todd uh, Purdom. And his wife is Dee Dee Myers, who used to be Clinton's former press secretary. So, love it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, you mentioned about Burkle being, you know, one of those guys obsessed with power and being in control and whatever. And I think that, like, uh, sort of similarly but different is that, like, Clinton, you know, I, I think famously at least was pretty obsessed with celebrity, actually. <laughs> and, like, being, I mean, he's a, you know, unique charmer in his own way. So it's like, yeah, he's not going to call her, you know, allegedly and say, like, I'm the commander in chief, you have to do this. But he's like a real charmer and people would flock to him because of his charisma and the way that he kind of was able to command a room and conversation and all those things. Yeah, you know, and his attraction to celebrity started um, because two of his best friends created the show Designing Women. I can't remember what their names are anymore. Mm-hmm. So he had that that kind of Hollywood connection mm. through them. And I think that, you know, I think he enjoyed being front and center, you know, whether it's playing the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. You know, he just, he liked yeah. being with celebrities. First black and, president. Yes. And I'm I'm forgetting, I'm going to, oh, I know, Eleanor Mondale. Um, mm. I think that's the daughter's name, right? Uh, you know, there was rumors that they had a years long affair. Uh, and she was, you know, the host on E or no VH1, VH1. She was um, a VJ at the time when they still had VJ. Oh, yes, I, God, I we should bring those fondly. back. 
I you think know, those are just YouTubers now, Liz. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, there. one of the things was there was this party given by Burkle. And there was only, and this is something that you'll appreciate, Liz, that there was only 10 or 15 people in attendance, um, including Clinton. And Gershon was there. And what they did was, um, I think that they showed clips of showgirls. So, <gasps> Oh, my God. No, I mean you have to if you've got if you've got her there, you're gonna have to show the clips. But there's, you know, there's only you know ten people there, and and she had said, oh, I've only met him a couple of times or something like that. But when Vanity Fair said that they were sticking with their reporting, they yeah. issued a statement that included um, the names Burkle and Steve Bing. So uh, you know mm. they were always putting them together whenever they could. Yeah. Yeah. No, I found I found from a 2008 uh, Vanity Fair article that reads a lot like the 2019 article that you read from earlier. Um, Burkle's usual means of transport is the convert custom converted Boeing 757 that Clinton calls Ron Air, and that Burkle's own circle of young aides privately referred to as Air Fork One. Uh, and then it says Clinton himself had arrived in the private plane of another California friend, the real estate heir, Democratic donor, liberal activist, and sometimes movie, movie and music producer Steve Bing. Um, so this so that, I guess that would indicate that he does have his own plane. I guess it? so, too. But it's, it's just also both these articles both mention the same paragraph. Yeah, I should say that Brace uh, said Air Fork one, and we, we should clarify that it's actually Air Fuck one. Did I say yes. air, no? It's because no. It's due to the di- it's a dining thing. The air fuck one was a sex plane. They also had a food plane. <laughs> it's oh. terrible nickname. Jesus Christ. I and mean, you know, Burke, and here's know. the other thing about Burkle. He is um, such good friends with the the Weinstein brothers mm-hmm. that yeah. he was he was trying to um, get take over. You know, get buy back uh, Miramax for the Weinstein brothers. Really. Um, yeah, it was in 2010. He offered 625 million bucks um, for Bob and Harvey to try and get back uh, control of Miramax, mm. which was you know owned by Disney. And Burkle hired Brian Lord, who's the CAA managing partner, who was the ex of Carrie Fisher, right? Um, mm-hmm. the father of Billy Lord, who just got engaged. Happy engagement. And <laughs> then. Um, Lord lobbied Bob Iger, and so anything that that was essentially was going. Disney was playing hardball mm. to Burkle um, because they were trying to get every last dollar out of out of the library, or whatever. So yeah, you don't um, hear a lot from about Bob Weinstein. He really keeps no, himself out of the papers. He does, but it's not that he's the the greatest person in the whole world either. Yeah, that's not what I've heard either. <laughs> Um, well, can you like just to spell it out a little more for our listeners? Like, what exactly are the rumors swirling around Mr. Burkle? Well, I mean, there's a ton. You have to be really careful because he will hire a lawyer in a second. Um, one of the things that I'm really focused on lately with Burkle is that he's the majority shareholder of the Soho House Group. Mm. And, you know, Soho House has always been this kind of. Um, facilitator of interactions between wealthy men and women that want to be with wealthy men, mm. you know, and it's, you know, the same kind of thing with, uh, you know, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry had their first date at a Soho house. Did they? Um, yeah. And God, that is so he, like her. 
Well, here's the thing. Okay, so I, I've I've gone into long, long um, podcast episodes about Soho House and Meghan Markle mm, and things like mm. that, and, and they the royal family has strong connections to Soho House, and you know mm. there because there's one in London and, yeah. and there's one in Toronto, and and but here's one of the things. So Burkle joined the Project Angel Food Board of Trustees, and that's a charity here in Los Angeles. And it's the same group that Harry and Meghan Markle, re- you know, volunteered for, where there was those pictures where they were finally in L.A. Oh, mm-hmm. here they are. They're just randomly going up to somebody's door who actually has a security camera in the right position so they can see that they're volunteering. <laughs> yes. And at the time, this this Project Angel Food said that they weren't using any volunteers because it was too dangerous for their volunteers because this is, you know, height of COVID. And so they were hiring Uber drivers and, and things like that to, to make the deliveries. They were actually paying people rather than just having volunteers do it. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow, Harry and Meghan managed to um, get on as volunteers to do their one delivery for one day and one delivery the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first day, the person's security camera, I guess, didn't work. So then the next day, they found somebody who had the security camera focused in the right position they had the the tote bag that showcased the Angel Food logo, but the reason why um, they were able to do that was because Burkle intervened. Um, Harry called him and said, "Can we do this?" Or Megan did one of the two. Fascinating. This shit is so transparent with these people. Longtime listeners of the pod and fans of the pod will know that I'm not the uh, biggest fan of Miss Markle. <laughs> yeah, Enti uh, is probably the number one source for uh, for information on the woman too that I that I've run into at least. Yeah, I I I, I dislike her, but you know, um, people will ask me why I dislike her, and it's because she's a hypocrite. Exactly, and yeah, that's what it is. And an opportunist, I, no I would suggest. I have no problem. She is not the only one in Hollywood, by the way. So yeah. you know it. it there are many, many people like that. And there's many people that will try and, you know, obviously find somebody wealthy and, you know, sleep with them or get the bag, as they say. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a problem with that, but just don't be a hypocrite about it and say that it's because of some kind of charity thing. And, right. and you know, the fact that, you know, I could go on seriously for 45 minutes about this, and I know that we're not really talking about them. But, no, you I know, love it. The, the fact that... They recently, in, in the last couple of weeks, they broke apart from the the law firm that handles the royal family, that's handled the royal family since the beginning of time, essentially. Mm. And the only reason that I can see for that is that they are going to have a battle about the Sussex name. And so they had to, to get different legal counsel. You think they Archwell, want to retain the name? Yeah. Because Archwell, they the trademark application was filed so um, poorly that it was returned, and they they hadn't done ten or twelve things that they needed to do. And I, it's because I don't think that they have any interest in that name. They want the Sussex name, and wow. the the fact that um, they say, well, you know, we're private citizens, but no, Harry didn't give up his his role in the line of succession, you know. Which is really irritating, and that's why the U.S. is under obligations to protect him and pay for the protection of Harry. And wait, the U.S. government pays for the protection of Harry? Yeah, because he's still a role. I mean, he's still technically a foreign, like 
He's uh, not technically. He still is because yeah, he didn't yeah. give up his place in the line of succession. So he is whatever he is, sixth in line or whatever, to be the head of state of a country. Yeah. And under the UN agreement, there are internationally protected persons that you are obligated to protect when they come to your country. So, you know, there is the 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 crown still has to pay for its security and the people to be there, but the secret service is all is out patrolling too because they don't want anything to happen to them. They're obligated under UN, mm-hmm. you know, to do it and the US has to pay for it. And here's the kicker is that Archie is also didn't give up his line of succession. So that means the U.S. is obligated to pay for his protection until he dies. See, this is like, you know, I, I some people have, when I've criticized Markle, Markle and, and all of this, like someone's ex- accused me before of like being a monarchist. And it's like, no, I don't care about that. It's like, this whole thing is so transparent to me. The idea of like, oh, we just, we can't handle the crown. We don't want the pressures of the crown. We must... So we're retiring to Hollywood. It's like, what? I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's, like, it's so transparent and obvious grab at, at kind of the celebrity philanthropist role, like global celebrity philanthropist role that, I mean, I, you know, I really think the Obamas have also kind of um, set the standard for in a lot of ways. Well, that's the like, deal that they want. They want the exactly. same Netflix deal that, that the Obamas got. And who did Harry and Meghan hire for their speaking agent this week? Michelle and Barack Obama speaking agent. See, this is what I'm saying. Never doubt me because I see this go coming a mile <laughs> away. I saw it from, you know, yeah, I won't even get into the nose job, but I'll just say, you know, I see this a mile away. <laughs> and I'm also I'm also wondering if if Harry's breaking the law because first of all, he earned a big huge check in Florida for speaking. Now, they could have just paid Megan and then didn't pay Harry anything. That's mm-hmm. one way around it. But they signed up for these speaking engagements. And what I've been told is that they will speak in front of anybody for any, you know, as long as somebody's paying their fee. That doesn't sound very charity minded. It sounds, we just want the cash. Yeah. Um, and but I, I, so are they really prepared to go to fight with the royal family? That just seems so, I know this is like not what we signed up to talk about, but this is so fascinating to me. So we're going to, you have to indulge me for a second. I mean, that seems like, I mean, is Harry really going to do that? That seems insane. There's no other reason why they would have removed themselves from the family. And like I said, the the trademark application for Archwell was rejected um, because of just the the way that they handled it. They could resubmit it, Mm. but they haven't. And so I think, you know, they put their whole brand on Sussex. And if you... Every time, Megan, there was, um, there's been twice. So Disney asked her, okay, well, you're not referring to yourself as the Duchess of Sussex, so we'll just put Meghan Markle on the credits for, you know, this narration of the, the animals. And she said, no, no, I'm the Duchess of Sussex. And then there was another time when she was introduced, and they said, so we'll just call you Megan? She goes, no, I'm the Duchess of Sussex. But remember, she made the big deal about, hey, we're not doing this. And then they've mm-hmm. also made the big deal that they're paying somebody back for their own security. They're not. Because first of all, the British government is required under law to protect Harry, um, right. and it comes out of taxpayer money. And the thing is, is the British government should be just as upset, British taxpayers, because they are on the hook for paying for Archie. So it's going to be the U.S. and Britain paying for Archie. And if Archie lives to be 95 years old, both governments are going to have to pay. Unless, you know, the crown kicks them to the curb. But they're not going to do that. I yeah, mean, they're not going to do that. You know, and, and Harry, 
is has overstayed his visa. You get mm-hmm. 90 days under the visa waiver program. So he's overstayed his visa. Um, so did they give him a diplomatic visa? And if they gave him a diplomatic visa, then it gets into, you know, because he has to pay taxes. And if he has to pay taxes or says, I haven't been here long enough or I, I have closer ties to England, then he has to provide proof, you know, of all kinds. And he'd have to show that the royal kind of family finances are would come under the microscope. And you oh know God. somebody at the IRS would leak it. So That would be fascinating. Oh my I would God. love that. I would. I want. I. I. I would. I would love a little peek in the purse there. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and this 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 notion that Megan says, well, we don't. We're not accepting any money from um, British taxpayers or something. Well, yeah, you are. You. It's just a creative trust that Prince Charles, you know, gave three million dollars to Harry last year and three or four million dollars to William, and it's still essentially coming from British taxpayers. It's. Because it's homes and, and property that that Prince Charles owns, but really should be owned by the British government, and they just let him, you know, get the 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 rents and things from it. So, you know, it's it, it's just it, semantics is essentially what it is. So beyond the obviously most scandalous association that he has, which is of course with the uh, with with these two little wayward royals, um, I mean you don't get a jet named Air Fork or Eric. Why do I keep saying Air Fork One, Air Fuck One, uh, without without uh, any cause? Um, I mean, is this guy just one of the like the many many older guys in Hollywood who just prefers to be surrounded by? Uh, young, beautiful women who are possibly looking for uh, a leg up. Yeah, I, and you know, it's not. Um, you can look at somebody like Steve Mnuchin, right? Mm. Um, and you know, the fact that he was involved with uh, Brett Ratner and um, Rat Pack and all of that, and that's you know essentially how he got his wife, who's the um, horrible excuse for an actress, gorgeous likes to get naked woman. in her movies. <laughs> Beautiful. And always gets naked in her movies. I mean, that's how he, you know, met her. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's all kinds of, you know, yacht parties that, that Mnuchin was on. And, and you have to realize that when, when you know, whenever Mnuchin leaves as, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury, he's going to go right back to Hollywood. Yeah. And he's going to go right back to, to what he was doing. And he and Brett Ratner are going to hang out. And he's going to go right back to doing it. And he's going to do it with Burkle and, and all of this stuff. So, um. I don't think he's, he he would have any issues at all with that. You mentioned the Rat Pack. We should say we're not talking about Sinatra. <laughs> no, no, we're not talking about that. It's Brett Ratner's company. Brett Ratner, who has been accused of a series of sexual assaults. He's yeah. a casting couch director. And for some reason, he was on the short list to be um, on the Academy Awards Board of Governors. Um, luckily, Ava DuVernay um, beat him out. But, I mean, the fact that he was even, you know considered i thought was um yeah a little bit a little bit rough also considering it's not like you know he's not making uh academy award-winning films <laughs> i mean as, no you know it's he's not. pretty absurd i mean he he makes the kind of movies where he can have a bunch of people who be extras in bikinis mm. and have them over to his place i know and he, he's associated with brock pierce too right yeah of the den network yeah 
that, that um, we did an episode on him. He is a piece of work in his own right. Yeah, and he th- I think he's going to jail because of the that Ponzi scheme. So. Really? Oh, that's well, some good news. <laughs> and you know, Burkle, um, if we're talking about these kind of people and everything, you know, he and David Geffen don't really get along. Um and one of the things is so they're neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um and Burkle um wanted to sell his property. And Geffen started talking smack about it, and which led to potential buyers backing out. And this rift was um, that it was all about the, I think it was the, it was 2008. It was the 2008 Democratic primary, and Geffen liked Obama, and Burkle liked Clinton. So mm. they let all of that go into, um, <laughs> yeah. That's how me this and Liz way- fell out. Yeah, this is why I always say all politics is local, people. (laughs) (laughs) No, a lot of people um, have been bugging us to talk about Geffen for a minute. And it's kind of a big, I mean, you know, I I don't, I mean, I'm sure our listeners know who he is. um, But, you know, it's a big name that looms large, not just in Hollywood, but certainly in, we'll say, uh, blind items as well. Yeah. I mean... David Geffen is is a um obviously a powerful figure. Mm. You know, I just talked about um I think it was a, a oh, I was talking about um Jessica Mulroney and one of their friends Misha Nunu and mm. you know Misha Nunu was on David Geffen's yacht and this is how it, it came about but you know on his yacht that same week were so you had Misha Nunu you had Carly Kloss, you had Joshua Kushner, mm. you had Paul McCartney, um, Oprah Winfrey, Gail King. Okay. And, you know, and this is just, hey, I'm going to control everything. And, you know, you guys are on my yacht. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's, you know, the whole, his whole backing and support and undying love for Brian Singer. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, just a ride or die. For Brian Singer. Why is that? Well, because I think Brian Singer has never has never folded and has always done what David Geffen wanted mm. and has provided David Geffen whatever he has needed. Ugh. Well, what are the, what are just to, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar? What are the rumors that other people say sort of surround Mr. Geffen? And and they are, I mean, I think Geffen's a lot more notable than, or at least a lot more famous in this regard than Bing and Burkle. Um, but from what I understand, he is sort of like a uh, Brian Singer type on steroids. Yeah, I mean, I think as he's aged, it's a, it's a little bit less, but, mm-hmm. n- you know, not a great deal. Uh, definitely, you know, he's been reported to be in control of the gay mafia, which controls, um, what he likes to think controls everything in Hollywood. Um, and you know, that you just kind of, if he doesn't like something that it's, it's not going to happen. You know, he has pressured Oprah Winfrey to, to take some stands that seem to kind of contradict what Oprah would normally go for, whether it's the, you know, Michael Jackson, and then she bailed on the the Russell Simmons thing. Um, Russell Simmons, of course, is you know big with the music industry, which is David Geffen's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they have you know, so it's just it's this it's this pressuring. It's you know, Ron Burkle likes to be behind the scenes with the levers and the power, you know, but it's actually somebody like David Geffen that 
seems to really be able to to make things happen. Now it's you know Burkle has destroyed a couple of things. I mean, uh, he destroyed relativity, relativity media, um, radar magazine. People think that radar is radar online, mm-hmm. but radar magazine used to be a thing, and it was pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And back in two thousand eight, uh, Burkle and Jeffrey Epstein and oh, I always forget his name. I think it's Roland Peltz who's Nicola Peltz's dad and who's a work of, you know, a piece of work on his own. I mean, that's, he's married to a woman who um, fired a butler after she made the butler clean the toilet 13 times and it wasn't up to, you know, her snuff or whatever. Um, But so they, um, and I think Mort Zuckerman was involved in this bid. He was. Essentially essentially what happened was that um, the bid wasn't high enough and, but it caused Radar Magazine to go under and then Radar Online um, came out of this. And that was, you know, that's American media now. Radar Online has gone out of business. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's American media. And then you get into American media owns National Enquirer and Star. And now, Who, Burkle was, was in talks to buy National Enquirer last year. I don't know how that yeah. ended up. But I know that Burkle himself was, was, was seeking to buy that, which is very weird because, you know, he's this big liberal uh, National Enquirer, obviously, very famously uh, conservative. I know, but he's tried to buy the Wall Street Journal before. So, you know, I mean, that's a very conservative publication. Um, he tried to buy the Tribune Company once. Mm. Um, so, you know, he, he he's failed at a, at a lot of these attempts. Do they, so, like, do these guys, if they if there's just, like, a gossip outlet, or like, or, or, like, these guys tend to like buying certain media properties that could possibly report negatively on them. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's um, a good playbook is to, is to buy things that um, are not, or not things that say negative things, but also um, things that'll publish puff pieces about you. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what they, they're they're really going for in that. Yeah. Bezos. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, Jeff Bezos, Washington post will never say anything bad about Jeff Bezos. Yeah. You know, Ever. Yeah. You know, I will, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very easily. <laughs> you know, that actually, just... that actually brings me to something that I've been thinking about. You know, you mentioned Gawker, and you, you know, of course, you've been working with blind items. I mean, that's you know, your entire blog is is blind items and, and um, kind of putting gossip out there, and you've seen a real death in that kind of um, side of the media, yeah. and. I don't really know what to make of it. I know that like some of that is due to just, you know, monopolization and, and and the state of journalism and, and, you know, things getting cut. And, and obviously with the case of Gawker, you know, you know, that's Teal putting them under and all that, but it, I don't know. It just sort of makes me sad, especially when we're reading all this stuff from even the way Vanity Fair used to report and even the post, you know, the society stuff, they don't really do that anymore. You know why? Because um, it's what you said about journalism, and also it's about access. Yeah. And what the if you go back and you read People magazine from even twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, they actually reported stories. People forget that People magazine started off in Time magazine. It was in a news magazine where they had one page of gossip. But these people were Time magazine reporters and journalists, and so they would actually write news. And over time. What has happened is 
you know, when they're owned by conglomerates and for a long time, People Magazine, you know, was owned by Warner Brothers and stuff. So you can't have your magazine trashing Warner Brothers movies, stars, potential stars, um, potential record, you know, singers or anything like that. And it became, it's all about access. If, if you, if you think about a talk show, they need big name guests to survive, to have yeah. people watch. So People Magazine or Us or any of those or even um, gossip websites like Just Jared or something like that, they need access to celebrities. And the only way you're going to get access is by not talking poorly about them. Even somebody like um, Perez, who, who's gone from you know putting dicks in people's mouth to now he is a celebrity himself, so he doesn't want to right. take away the access or the friends that he has with celebrities. Yeah, can't piss Talk off about, your buddies. Yeah, if you look at what Lainey um, used to write 15 years ago before she had a TV show or two TV shows. Yeah, it, was it used a to be lot, a whole thing. It was a lot more caustic. There was yeah. She had blind items that were really good. She, she wrote and she gave opinions and now it's milk toast. You know, remember, it's Remember Ted? Remember, well, yeah, Ted. No, Ted got forced out. Yeah. And you know, now he's an art dealer in Palm Springs, but he got forced out because he um apparently outed um they said that he outed somebody mm-hmm. and so they they got rid of him. But you know, his blind items were legendary. Yeah. Their um the New York Daily News used to have wonderful blind items and you know they would report some some really decent gossip and then that kind of went away it's just and when you have gawker and gawker used to post my blind items every single day if you look you know there's a collection of blind items on this website called um agc and Mm. it's blind items from 15 years ago when it was or 20 years ago, maybe even when it was just a message board, you know, AGC used to be, you know, everything used to be under these message boards and you would look and you see so many outlets that had blind items and gossip and now it's reduced to a couple, Yeah, you know, where there's actual gossip. You know, it's funny. It's a friend of mine who's a publicist in LA. She, she said, she always told me a long time ago, she's like, if you ever want to know what publicists want you to believe about their clients, just read Us Weekly or People. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to the journalism. How, oh, we, we have an exclusive with whoever. And it's essentially the publicist has just given them something to write. Right. You know, or even and, just, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, I think everyone knows this, but I don't know. It's like, you know, paparazzi just get paid off to get the right shots that are then, air, you know, retouched and put into the tabloids. Well, there's two things. There's, there's, okay, paparazzis are, are kind of my, kind of one of the things that I like to talk about a lot mm. is that you'll see um, paparazzi. There's, there's a, there's a park in Los Angeles called Coldwater Canyon Park. And it's right on the border of Beverly Hills in Los Angeles. And paparazzi hang out there. And they hang out there because there's Wi-Fi and there's a food truck. But it's also because they're close to things. And you will see them all, all get out of their car simultaneously because they've already made arrangements with a celebrity to be there. Yeah. And the celebrity will walk down the street or go play in the park with their child. And the paparazzi already know you know, that the person's about to arrive, so then they get out of their cars. If you see a shot that is um, from five feet away in the middle of the street, you know it's a setup. If you see um, a, a a celebrity walking down the street holding a product yeah. with it facing the camera, you know it's a setup. And the, the tabloids treat this as a random type, oh, look who we caught in the street. Yeah. You know, but it's an... Uh, 
it's an opportunity for advertising and that that's kind of what it's all about if you see a blurry photo of a celebrity that is actually you know <laughs> a good get by the paparazzi and the paparazzi used to be newsmakers and then all of a sudden that changed yeah they, just, sort of they want the easy money too you know, I'm going to have a relationship with a celebrity. I need access to that celebrity so I can sell my photo for $200 today. Yeah. You know, Reese Witherspoon has a regular person and she always is smiling and everything. If you see Reese Witherspoon walking down the street scowling, it means that a, her normal paparazzi was not there and she accidentally got, you know, hit by a photographer. So. Yeah. You know, my favorites are always like, oh, we just caught Chrissy Teigen leaving Whole Foods. It's like, no, you didn't. It's like I see no. the the brand of chips she's got in her, you know, supermarket in her grocery <laughs> cart or whatever. <laughs> and during the pandemic, everybody would go to Erwan and Calabasas because they knew that there would be a paparazzi out there the whole time. So they'd say, "Okay, I'm going to go to Erwan," mm. and then they would get their picture taken leaving a grocery store with no grocery bags, no carts. <laughs> God bless Erwan. Maybe they bought some gum. <laughs> that gum you like. Is going to come back in style. I mean, I don't so think they I, sell gum at. Air I don't think they sell gum at Erwan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, guys, but I trust you both. It, it's um, like an advanced amazing. state of Whole Foods. It is. Kind of it thing. is like nowhere. I mean, also the Calabasas one is on a different level than the one in West Hollywood. I will say, yeah. and the West Hollywood one is in its own right a, 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 an insane place. But the Calabasas one is, my lord, that is like. You're in, I don't know what circle of whatever we want to call it, that, that level that Erwan lives. I had a friend who eats only raw food, mm-hmm. raw vegetables and fruit. And um, they only go to, to Erwan, which is way out of their way, the West Hollywood one. And I said, why don't you go to Ralph's or something? And they said, Erwan, you know, is just, it's just better. And, you know, that's, it's fruit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like, you can just go to, they sell that. I'll I'll be honest. Most stores sell uncooked food. Yes, I know. (laughs) And they, and they sell it for much less money than Erewhon sells it for. It's so expensive. Erewhon is a full experience. And, and it's, I mean, you know, people, if you go to Erewhon at like, um, uh, I don't know, like two o'clock in the afternoon, one o'clock in the afternoon, the people you run into, the people you see, I mean, it is, it, it is like, you know, its own little meet and greet. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I, I mean, I know I'm like, so we, we <laughs> talked about, you just mentioned Corona, Corona there and people, you know, this whole sort of episode may be, you know, if the reports are be to believed or to be believed, uh, sort of sparked by Corona. But I, I noticed there was a lot of news about Geffen's yacht during coronavirus too. Okay. So right at the beginning, I think it was in March or so, you know, he said another beautiful night off the the coast of wherever he was at the time. Mm -hmm. And everybody said, well, that's, you know, that's being elitist. But what I discovered, um, and I wrote a blind and revealed it just a few days after that, was that he, this was a time, remember, when you couldn't get tests. And, you know, think back to March when nobody had any tests. And he arranged for all of these young men that were visiting the yacht to be Mm. rapid tested. And there wasn't even such a thing really as rapid tested. And they were getting tested and then they would get on on the ship. And it turns out, I think about a month later, um, it was some, I'm trying to think where it was. And there was a big, big article about how yachters 
all had now these rapid testing kits when other people couldn't couldn't get them and you know it just it just shows you that there's two different kind of levels where mm-hmm. there's something for the rich and there's less for everybody else yeah uh i would like just because i like to remind people of this that you know we broke the news that the kardashians had already been tested for corona Months and months ago, before page six, I we had it before page six. That's true. That's true. So well, we, that's we, because the, the the doctor that they had the he's the one who treated the the people who came back from Italy, mm. and so there was there was a group of people that skied in Italy, really really wealthy people who lived in Calabasas, and this doctor had access to tests, which is how um, the Kardashians got them, and also you know NBA players in New York yeah. got tests. If you had three thousand dollars. You could get a test. And, you know, but other people in New York, uh, you know, healthcare workers, they just did this on on Real Sports two months ago. Not this month's episode, but last. And all these players got tested and all these healthcare workers didn't, including a healthcare worker who ended up dead because she couldn't get a test and the NBA players did. Yeah. I mean, are, are, what are people doing? Like, are they hiring like their own nurses for their homes? Or like at this point, is everyone just like, I don't give a fuck anymore? Yeah, I, I I think that everybody now is just, I don't know, it's, is everybody kind of over it? I mean, <laughs> it seems, it it seems, seems like, like everyone like is just trying to will it to not be a thing anymore, but it's like very much still a thing. <laughs> this is, this is how my, my theory goes is that New York should have shut down when they shut down. Um, Washington state should have shut down when they shut down. But the other states that didn't have um, a ton of cases if everybody knew that it was going to spread to other places, you wait till you see a, a spike and then you shut down. And so then maybe Texas and Florida and Arizona and even California, you know, Southern California could have started to isolate maybe last month mm. and then go for two months that there should have been this staggered thing rather than the whole country. So what you had for the longest time, you know, Texas had, you know, 50 cases a day yeah. or a hundred cases a day. So people are, why am I staying inside? And yeah, then after yeah. two months, I'm getting out and I'm, I'm breaking free kind of thing. And there should have been kind of a stagger thing. If you, and you just look at Italy, Lombardy had it, the rest of the country didn't. Mm-hmm. And, but, and so they locked down Lombardy, but they didn't lock down everybody else. And then when it started to spread to the rest of the country, then they locked down the entire country. So I think that there should have been maybe that kind of thing rather than the, just this mass everybody locks down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my suspicion is that, you know, we just did an episode about all the competing or the, all, you know, the back and forth on all the information on everything and the kind of like what felt like kind of schizophrenic media response and response from the government is that that was all like, you know, you know, I'm not suggesting a conspiracy, but like the, the effect of it was to basically... Um, uh, you know, distract people from the fact that the U.S. actually was going for the kind of terrifying herd immunity strategy where they were just accepting that a certain amount of people in the population were going to die, but didn't want to come out right and say it because it would have caused, you know, a revolt. Well, look what happened in Britain. Exactly. I mean, they said it out loud in Britain. Yeah, and yeah. That, that did not go well. I mean, it's, yeah, and then, like, you see, of course, like, the, the, all these, I can't remember the guy's name in the UK, but that cabinet minister, Dominic Cummings in the UK, like, going across the country and hanging out with everybody. Same thing happened in New Zealand. I mean, it's all a bunch of, bunch of bullshit. You know Gavin Newsom's out there fucking going wild right now. Oh, that guy. (laughs) Yeah, let me actually, let me, let me, let me, (laughs) Gavin Newsom in his, uh, his, his, uh, 
Lackey, Yashar Ali, are longtime enemies of, of myself, though they possibly aren't aware of that, technically. <laughs> um, but, but, You're saying they're but, not subscribers to the podcast? They, I don't know. They might be listeners to the free episode. I've certainly sent them enough letters to, to alert them to the fact that I have a podcast and talk about them occasionally. Um, but, but as far as I know, and again, this, this doesn't have really a ton of necessarily to do with what we talk about in this podcast usually, but humor me on this. Um, Gavin Newsom famously, uh, a bit of a, uh, philanderer himself. Is yes. there any, like anything swirling around about him now that he's been governor? You know, I will, um, suggest to you that one of the reasons that he and Trump seem kind of chummy. You never really hear Trump say anything bad about Gavin Newsom. Correct. And the common connection between mm. the two of them is Kimberly Goyafoyle. That's right? true. So you never, ever, ever hear Trump say anything bad about Newsom. Newsom rarely says anything bad about Trump. There is this standoff because of some things that Baltazar Getty yes. knows about Gavin and Kimberly and some other things, and nobody really wants it out. So you don't hear Don Jr. saying anything bad about mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom. So it's this kind of uh, detente kind of thing. But yeah, Gavin was, of course, he, you know. Yeah. His campaign manager's wife. Yeah, I got to say that, you know, with Brace and I, you know, you know, we, you know, we grew up, we both grew up in the Bay Area and, you know, myself in San Francisco. And so I've known Gavin for a long time, we'll say. I mean, not personally, but, uh, yeah, the relationship between him and the Gettys, uh, goes way back and, you know, we talk about like, there were some sex parties and things like that. Absolutely. So yeah, there, there was definitely, and there, you know, some cocaine and and things like that. So yeah, I mean, (laughs) I loved, I love talking about the Gettys and the Trainas too, by the way, I love the old San Francisco families. That stuff is real fun. A good fr- friend of mine, friend of the pod, uh, who will go unnamed, so it's a it's a half blind item here. Uh, once dated when he was a kid, somehow, uh, although he does not come from these circles, dated an illegitimate Getty, uh, a a a Getty who was sort of I don't know, like a a, a bastard or born out of wedlock to a to a non member of the Getty family, but I believe by a male Getty. And uh, mm. through that connection, she started, I guess, started re- to reconnect with her family when she was a teenager. Through that connection, uh, my friend actually ended up meeting Gavin Newsom, who said, nice hair to him. <laughs> well, he would oh. know, right? Yes, that's like that's his thing. True. Yeah. <laughs> it's over for Newsom's career if he ever loses his hair. Oh, he's done. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but he has some good hair. He does have good hair. <laughs> God, that fucking smile, though. I'll, I'll refrain from my... <laughs> I gotta say, if you're handsome, that's a, like, a lot of people in politics just look like Ted Cruz. And, like, if you're looking like Gavin Newsom, you got a couple of rungs up the ladder there. I mean, well, what he's got North be Carolina? Angling. What about the guy in North Carolina who beat um, Trump's uh, person? The, you know, he's he's 24 years old, so he's not even really eligible until the guy... Yes. That guy is so good looking, I was thinking to myself, there's no way that anybody's gonna beat him. And he's in a wheelchair? I mean, come on. You know, th- there was no way that that guy was going to lose. Yeah. I mean, Newsom's for sure going to, like, there's, the end goal is D.C., right? I mean, that's my suspicion. I mean, the, the problem, White House, you know, by the way. I mean, eventually, I guess, you know, 
It depends, I guess, what happens in this election. If if Biden wins in this election, would he run again or would it be his vice president runs? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, so would Newsom primary, you know, that person Mm -hmm. in 2024? Um, Does it go to... Or later. Let's say Biden yeah. picks Kamala Harris. Is Newsom going to go against her? No. Um, that would seem to be bad for California politics. Even so in D.C., I- you can't go up against the Willie Brown machine. No. <laughs> and Kamala knows about the Willie Brown machine. Oh, certainly oh, does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, certainly boy. does. Yeah, but... Um- <laughs> well, also, you know, Willie Brown's got that, that Russian mistress that I'm sure is... Um, Reporting things straight back to wherever she needs to. <laughs> that that would that actually would rule if like the the link to the Kremlin was through Willie Brown's one of his many mistresses. Well, I it, not the I I think that they would take all avenues of wherever they can get it. And Willie Brown has a lot of connections, obviously in the upper echelons of the Democratic Party. Yeah. So if there is pillow talk, um, why not install somebody to be the person that is on that pillow? I love one of my favorite things about Willie Brown was that like kind of all of his um, like backdoor, you know, smoke filled room like stuff happened out of a hat shop. Which I just, it's like one of my favorite little details about Santa. Like, of course, like just a, you know, a big a hat shop where he bought famously bought all his hats. It's like Wait, where a lot of deals went down. Are you talking about the place in North Beach? No, it's in um, Pack Heights. Oh, okay. Or it was. It was in Pacific Heights. Okay, I'm but that was always tracks. a fun detail. Also, remember when um, Kamala Harris, like when she first announced her run, and then Willie Brown just like immediately wrote an op-ed being like, "Actually, when we had an affair, it was completely consensual. It was Amazing. like super weird." <laughs> Amazing. I think if you're a guy that age, you really just want to get out. You know, I, I I have this instinct as well. You want to know, like you want people to know, and of course you're going to say this in a in a much more tender way. If you're if you're a man of his advanced age, I fucked her. That's what he was trying to say with that. Absolutely, there's literally no reason to disclose actually, that except for I that. I can't remember. Actually, the the op-ed might have been it was, it was in like the Examiner or something or the Chronicle. Like Chronicle, uh, he's, a, he's a columnist there. Yeah, I don't know if actually that's what it said, or if it came out and said, actually, no, we didn't have an affair or something. But like, no one was talking about the story until Willie Brown opened his mouth, <laughs> which is basically the entire story of Willie Brown's career. But wasn't it common knowledge? Yes, I mean, I you know, I, not, it was not for anyone in San stage. Francisco. Maybe yeah. not in a national sense, but I mean, I, I, you know, I, California. I mean, I just assumed everybody knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> it's, if if they didn't, then he told them. Um, <laughs> sort of, uh, kind of last last thing I want to get onto here is that like, our you know I, you've covered Epstein a lot, and I encourage our listeners to check out Enti's uh, uh, podcasts for for Epstein. There, you've done quite a lot of them. Uh, I know the last one I haven't listened to yet, but is it's about his connections to to Lord of War. Um, which I'm yeah, very excited I'm, to hear. Yeah, it's it that is just because I think people always yeah, billionaire, pedophile, yep, pedophile, pedophile, got it. Um, but there's another story too. You know, where did he get his money? Mm-hmm. And yeah. people forget that, you know, that he was an essentially an arms dealer. Um, and it just talks about Lord of War and Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage's character in Lord of War is based off about four people. And but it it talks about um the those four individuals and how they were um 
essentially given preference when the U.S. government would come to them and say, hey, we need you to sell arms to this country. Great. And then they would get in trouble for something else, for dealing arms where they shouldn't, and the government would reduce their sentence um, from 10 years to a year because we need you to go do something else for us. So when you think about Jeffrey Epstein and his sweetheart deal, it all com- if, if Acosta had stayed quiet, mm-hmm. if he had not uttered the one line or the two lines, mm-hmm. yes. then it would be a completely different conversation. But when he said it was a higher pay grade, I was told above me that he was intelligent and to make some kind of deal. Well, there's only two people above Acosta. Well, I guess three, the attorney general, the vice president, and the president. Mm-hmm. That was that was the thing, right? So, and if you think about it with Epstein and the Saudi Arabia thing, and then Bush giving the pass to the Saudi Arabians to leave after 9-11, mm-hmm. there's all of that. And so that is, when he said that, and then Jeffrey Epstein being this arms dealer, and then you also have to think about Southern Air Transport, moving to, to Columbus from Miami. Yes. And all of that situation. And why did they pick... Wexner had enough money to to buy different airlines. Why did he pick the one that everybody already knew was a CIA front? Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of other CIA front airlines that people don't know are CIA front <laughs> airlines. <laughs> this is why the most pick? famous one. Right. So we're going to pick this one. And if you go back and who is Jeffrey Epstein's hero? Who is his ultimate hero? Adnan Khashoggi. Yeah. Exactly. One of the, the greatest arms dealers of all time, one of the most crooked people of all time, and somebody who also enjoyed the company of 13 and 14-year-old girls. I did yachts. not know that. I actually, I haven't listened. To, you did, I think you did two episodes on Adnan and, uh, and Epstein, and I'm, I'm going to listen yeah. to those right after this. <laughs> Um, there so, was all, like, it's, it's also like, this is, this is something that no one's really been able to exactly pinpoint what he was talking about, uh, is that he used to tell people that his job was as a financial bounty hunter where you'd go to Africa or, or what have you and retrieve money that the CIA had given them and wanted back. It was very confusing. And a lot of people sort of wrote that off as like, oh, he's, he's, he's acting out these spy fantasies in his head. But like, he told that, that tale yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of the financial bounty hunting going on. And if you go back, and I talk about it in that episode, there was um, an article that was written in 2001, so before he got into any trouble at all, and said that he used to work for the CIA in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And he told this reporter that. And the reporter checked on it and you know was met with roadblocks when they, they wanted to check on it. So it would lead you to believe that he was at least doing something for the CIA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he just kind of, it's, I, I encourage people to, 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 to listen to the episode and um, just how people always think that pedophile, 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 and they lose sight of the fact that, you know, he was doing some other crazy stuff. And also little St. James afforded him the opportunity to meet with armed smugglers mm. in an out of the way location. And, you know, if you look at the, maybe a year before he got arrested, um, the final time, there his jet flew um, from L.A. or something, stopped in Texas, went to Florida, and on that flight were a bunch of arms dealers, and they, they stopped in Florida to get a bunch of strippers, and then went over to, to Little St. James. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, you know, he was always meeting with arms dealers. And, you know, it's just it, people, how did he get his money? And yeah. we always focus on the pedophile thing and we forget, you know, if he really did, you know, get suicided, why? 
Is exactly. it because we're protecting people who may have been pedophiles? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's some of that, but I think it's because there's a lot of shady stuff going on involving a lot of money and a lot of places that they shouldn't have been. You know, could yeah. it have been an Iran Contra 2 or a 3 or a 4? And then, you know, there's the pedophile stuff too with the people that traveled with him. But I think that, you know, you had enough from Virginia, you had enough from other victims you know, that have identified a lot of the people that already have been exposed for, you know, being pedophiles or being with underage girls. Uh, And I'm not sure how many more of those people are, can, are there to be exposed. We've already heard from the victims. We have a, a, you know, a victim timeline essentially from when he started doing it until he stopped, except Mm -hmm. for, you know, the, the, the Eastern Europeans and the, the South Americans that he was with the last couple of years of his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, then you just, you, 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 you have to think like, well, if he was blackmailing people, you know, like he, he wired up all his houses. Apparently he wired up Les Wexner's houses with cameras. What was he using those, that footage for? And if it's like, if it was arms dealing, if it was like sort of like a holistic intelligence operation, then like, that's a much bigger story than like the pedophilia is sort of secondary to that. Yeah, and who yeah. was his longtime companion? Yeah. Ghislaine. What did Ghislaine learn at her father's knee? How to blackmail people, Yeah, you know, and how to be pseudo-intelligence. Did you, do you work for an intelligence agency? No, but I help them out from time to time. I do exactly. favors for them. You know, I'm running out of money. I'm going to get a little greedy. Well, you're going to die on your yacht. You yeah. know, it's... It's that kind of thing. And then what I think people also forget, but which I, I made a blind item, you know, we're recording this on Friday today, is that, you know, and I've talked about it on the podcast, is Ghislaine Sisters. Yes. Ghislaine Sisters created Chiliad. Yes. And people, and people go, I don't know what that is. And you try and explain it. Essentially, they created it. They had the back door. They yeah. have a database that can scan through millions of names in a hurry. And if you're crossing a border... They can, it's used by every single Western civilized thing for border crossings. Yeah. So that's how you can say, oh, we got flagged that so-and-so just entered whatever country, like you see in spy movies. They have access to that. They can change those kind of things. Mm-hmm. They can go in a back door and change it. So if Ghislaine needs to, where, what country is she in? Well, we're going to take her from this little database. And I did it in the sense of, because um, I don't want to reveal it yet, because I'm going to reveal it on reveal day on July 4th. But- you know, there is a, a company that just went, has the biggest fraud since Enron that's mm. in Europe. Mm. And mm. The, one of their executives is missing. And they showed him entering yes. one country, but there was no video cameras of him actually arriving at that time on that flight. And then they said he left that country to go to a different country the next morning, but there was no flight to that country at that time. And there's no record of him actually in the airport. It's because they can control where yeah. they want it to be. This is oh my god! I I like it. You know, a lot. also you know, also we should mention just you know, se- just separately. Also, you know, Epstein's longstanding relationship with Ben Salman, who also had a relationship with a uh, related Khashoggi. <laughs> Yes, in a bad way. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, you know, I mean, you know, there is a much bigger story, you know, bigger uh, little ecosystem here. No, and, you know, you had people flying into Saudi Arabia, you know, Jeff Bezos went in there. Yep, exactly. You know, and in these secret flights. And w- what does Jeff Bezos really need to do in Saudi Arabia? You know, 
It's not like they're going to... I don't even fucking want to know, to be honest. It's like terrifying. (laughs) But there was, you know, these are these kind of all secretive agreements. And and what I think people also tend to forget, and they, they polarize in these times of polarization, is that Trump was best friends with Epstein. Clinton mm-hmm. was best friends with Epstein. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it, it when you get to that kind of level, everybody's friends, everybody's helping each other out, and it's a it's a it's a different kind of thing and it, it's not a left issue or a right issue, it's more of an elitist greedy kind of issue. Yeah, that's class politics. Yeah. They're always going to have each other's back. That's solidarity among, you know, the ruling class. Yeah. Where so I, I, we got. I think we got to wrap up pretty soon. But yeah. I do. I did want to get your opinion on this. Where the fuck do you think Ghislaine is? Um, I'm leaning towards the Paris one. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards the the France. I think that would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, if if people listen to my podcast, they know that I'm in very infrequent communication with Sarah Bronfman, and Sarah Bronfman is in Paris. And Sarah has been quiet as of late um, mm-hmm. in her replies to me. Our communication, like I said, is very infrequent, generally involves me asking her a question, and then she replies with some kind of inspirational self-help thing that is 18 paragraphs long, 10 links to articles, and then one sentence of actual information that I can use. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love women. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that, and and Sarah and, and the Bronfman's, uh, have always been close with Ghislaine. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I'm I'm on board with that. Mm. I am never been on board with um, Ghislaine being at the in and out Oh, yeah. Them. No, no. But the problem is, so this is what frustrates me about that. If you read an article today, just Google, like, where is Ghislaine? And there'll be some article that somebody's written, and they go, her last known sighting was in an in and out in California. Mm-mm. You know, and it, it, I, I, the, the, the and it's been disproven, so I don't understand why every single media organization is just being a sheep about it. Um, no, I think her last real known sighting was, I believe, in either Monaco or San Marino in a picture behind fucking Paris Hilton wearing a red dress at some charity event. Yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, was she in Boston with, you know, neighbors said that they saw her at that guy's house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I spoke to someone who worked for his company, and she was very much around, like, to the point where she was up in the offices of that company all the time, uh, I think until, like, June or July of last year. Um, yeah. So, so I, basically I don't right around when Epstein uh, got arrested. Yeah. And then she, then she, she bolted. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think Fran, I, my, my, my take on it has been like, I've always leaned England. Yeah, that's what I always thought. But I guess France would make sense. Yeah, sort of similar climate. You know, uh, it's technically pedophiles legal. <laughs> Pedophilia is legal. Just kidding. Uh, we, we, but, you know, another reason is, you know, the, the French investigation of Jean-Luc has kind of totally stopped. Mm-hmm. You know, they were really on that. And then they've just totally stopped. They put out the, the Interpol yellow for Prince Andrew, which I thought was a ballsy move. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then they got it back and forth with the, the British government. And then all of a sudden it's just been quiet. So I think Ghislaine probably thinks that she's safe there. Yeah. 
And this wow. is why COVID is a hoax. It's to cover all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's to distract us from. No. From just, Ghislaine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Enti, thank you so much. It has been it has been a absolute pleasure. Oh man, we're gonna have to come have you back on to talk about other stuff because I can go forever about this kind of, like all of this. Anytime, guys. I'm I'm happy to help. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys can check out uh, check out the famous crazydaysandnights.net. And uh, yeah. I'm always checking it. Look at that fucking blind. It's .net, right? Yeah, it is .net. Okay. I was and- like, fuck, am I misremembering this? And now I'm going to sound like an asshole. Did not. Uh, and also a podcast. You got a Patreon, too. We'll link to all that. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, you guys. Be safe. Man, I could just keep going. Liz, when you bring me out, can you call me Enti? <laughs> That's uh, cute. Yeah, I, I'm going to need... I'm, like, thinking about gossip now. Like, I mean, our podcast isn't, like, big I love gossip. gossip. But, like, if I ever got to the spot where I'd be in gossip, instead of, like, leaking rumors that, like, I'm a good father or, like, don't cheat on my wife or whatever, I would just... That's like, I mean, that's what it seems like the rumors that people leak to make themselves look good. Mm. Uh, I would just leak rumors that I could do like 300 push-ups. Like you friends. Say, you say that on the podcast all the time. I know, but like they know, you know, the podcast. Are you suggesting that you can't? No, I've never tried. I could. I mean, I've done like 400, 500. I never stopped at 300. Like <laughs> presumably I could do, do only 300. Oh, you're so cute sometimes. Um. I had a blast. That was that was very fun. We yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I we went all over the place because oh man, I, Hollywood gossip. It all just it's just my favorite. I we had going. we had the Oracle on. We needed to get a, a range of subjects. There's so many things I want to talk about. I'm happy we got to Markle. <laughs> I know both of you guys. You love her. Well, I don't know if that's the word I would use. All um, right. Well, we should sign off because we've gone so long. Let's shut her down. Liz, play us out. Uh, what do I usually say? Oh, for oh. Christ's sake. I'm Liz. <laughs> I'm Braze. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 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 B